you guys. I'm so glad to be here again. I also, in, in my uh, professional life and also my spare time, because I'm nerdy like this, I am a student of preachers. I love to, to look, and, but I don't li like, I like to listen to pre sermons of dead guys, like I, old, like dead theologians are my favorite thing. And so I love to look at a good sermon. And, and we've been looking here for weeks at the Sermon on the Mount, and it is one of the most incredible sermons ever, ever written. In fact, since Jesus did it, let's go ahead and call it the most incredible sermon ever. And what's interesting to me about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus lays this groundwork really methodically for what he wants us to know. And in his teaching, in his, the whole of his teaching, Jesus is not really very much of a gunslinger. You know, he's not like, bam, take that. Yeah, got you there. Here's a rule, follow it. He's just he's not that way. Jesus is more actually of a question asker. Um, he's asked 183 questions in the New Testament. You know how many he answers directly? Three. Only answers three questions directly. And, and he asks over 300 questions to people. So Jesus has this way of bringing us along and helping us discover the truth he wants us to know. But the passage we're looking at today is just not like that. The passage we're looking at today is like, bam, it, this is what you got to know. In fact, he says a, a sort of similar thing. John, the Gospel of John doesn't record the Sermon on the Mount. But there are some statements that Jesus makes in John that definitely mirror this whole sermon. And one of them is the very narrow-minded, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. I'm the way. That's his thing. It's, it's, it's really kind of um, narrow and closed-minded. He, he doesn't, in fact, it's funny to me when people say, Especially right now, I'm hearing it all the time. I don't want to be a Christian and I don't want to be in a church because Christians are hypocrites or Christians are judgmental or Christians are hateful. And I always think Jesus didn't say Christians are the way, the truth, and life. He never suggested that. That should take a lot of pressure off you. You are not the way, the truth, or the life. Jesus himself states, I am the way. If you look at me, Colossians says, all of God is in Jesus, and all of Jesus is in God. And so Jesus is saying, I am here with my feet on your planet. I am here standing on your right now timeline to show you what the Father looks like. To show you how to get to him and how to be like him. And so we're immersed in a culture that says, there are lots of roads that lead to God, and there are lots of ways that get to him. And I get the sentiment of that. I really do. I'd love to support it because it's really happy. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's easy to say, and it sounds fun. But the thing is, let's just be honest with each other this morning and say we don't believe that in any other area. We don't. All roads lead to health and fitness. Nope. Not the couch. Not Fritos. I like Fritos. Twinkies I really like a lot. Those don't lead to health and fitness. All roads lead to a good marriage. Nope. All roads lead to wealth. No. We don't believe this in any other area, and yet we somehow manage to maintain some degree of intellectual honesty and say it must apply to our faith. It doesn't. All roads don't lead to knowing the Father. All roads don't lead to a life of health and life and happiness. They don't. 
And, and somehow we have framed this verse we're going to look at today like some sort of punishment. And it is not. It is a great gift. So let's look at the text. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Couches are wide and broad. <laughs> and many enter through it. But I'm, uh, COVID uh, quarantine wasn't good for me and my cat. It was good for my relationship with my couch. It wasn't good for my relationship with fitness. Um, but small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to what? Life. It's not that he's not trying to, he's not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to say, you just have to go my way or the highway because I'm Jesus and I get to call the shots. He's saying, I am setting before you something that leads to life. Don't you want that? Get out of your minds right away that this verse is punishment. So small is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. So Jesus here paints a clear picture of two ways. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. I've often seen this teaching as Jesus saying there's an easy way and a hard way. I mean, you can go easy or you can go hard, but one road leads to destruction, and I hope you don't take it. it, it it's almost like the, the, in the movies where we see the little devil on the shoulder and the angel on the shoulder. The angel is never telling you to do something fun. The angel is always telling you to do something boring or good. And the devil is always like fun guy. And this misappropriation of symbols and ideas about God the Father is killing us, I think, in the church. Until we see God as the one who wants to lead us to a blessed life, Jesus already has laid the groundwork for that in this sermon. He has already said a a bunch of different ways that you can be blessed. In the original language, that word blessed means happy. This is the way to the happiest life. It's like... Um, one group of people chooses cheeseburgers and milkshakes, and the other chooses rutabagas and radishes. And the Jesus way is going to always be the rutabaga way. It's just always going to be the healthy, hard, difficult, uh, difficult, not fun way. And and this idea in Christianity, maybe I was raised with this more than some people because my my background is pretty strict and conservative. But this idea, if it's fun, you must be doing it wrong. I think is the antithesis of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is at the heart of it, good news. Yeah? Good news is God wants you to have a good and healthy, whole life that leads to more life. Life, life, and more life. So when I begin looking at this recently, I am realizing that um, there are so many consequences to missing the way of Jesus. And remember the part of the sermon, this is after the Beatitudes, this is after him laying a lot of groundwork for what we should do. So this whole idea of the sermon is that there are these two distinct ways. There are two clear choices. And just to lay some groundwork, Jesus isn't springing this idea on them. This idea is not just a point in the Sermon on the Mount. This idea is a theme, a a prevailing theme throughout the whole of Scripture. And we're going to reach back a little bit and look at where we see this springing up because it's going to lead us right into this point in the Sermon on the Mount and help us understand what Jesus was really saying. So if we go back to about 1500 B.C., 
when the people of Israel are on the brink of taking the promised land. So they're on the brink of the only free life any of them have ever truly known. They don't have... They, they were in 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. They don't have a mom or a dad who knows what it's like to be free. They didn't have grandparents. They didn't have great-great-grandparents. There is no one person except Moses who can say, this is what a free life looks like. This is what life looks like outside the confines of someone who tells you what to do and how to do it and when to do it and when you're doing it wrong. They don't know what it looks like to be free. And then they've spent all of this time wandering in the wilderness. That also isn't a free life. And so now they're right on the brink of taking the promised land. And what God says to them is, Deuteronomy 30, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. God has set before them two roads. What he hasn't done is made it a requirement that they choose one of them and not the other. He set before them two roads and free will to make the call. Will both these roads lead to life? Nope. But both these roads are equally available to the people. There are two ways. And the ways don't choose us. We choose them. The good way doesn't just overtake us. The bad way doesn't just overtake us. We get to make the call. And so then we move forward about 500 years to the reign of King David. And the very first psalm in the collection of psalms says this. I'm going to read the whole thing because I think it's really important as we look to establish what this theme is in the Bible. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So here we see again two ways. There's a way of the righteous, and it leads to hope and health and and life. It leads to prosperity. It leads to fruitfulness. It leads to this idea of being able to stand when everything around you shakes. The righteous stays firmly planted. How do we respond when, when the world gets crazy, when things get stormy, when everything seems like it's falling apart, exactly the same way we respond when things are good and easy and calm. We respond by keeping our feet on the way of Jesus, staying planted and firmly rooted in his way, in his truth, in his grace, in his life. As we stay planted in him, we can trust that he is working all the other things out for his glory and our joy. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here we see again these two distinct choices. I love that David kind of calls this the way of delighting in the way of the Lord. It's not this drudgery. Oh, man, I got to get up again today and serve God. I got to get up and listen to the dumb angel on my shoulder. 
No, I get, I get up and I get to delight in his way. Psalm 119, I think it's 119, 165. It says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing causes them to stumble. Not circumstances, not bad people, not dumb uh, uh, situations, not government. Not, nothing causes them to stumble because they love the way of the Lord. There's a difference in how life turns out when we choose his way. It's easy, I think, to miss the fact that God has an opinion about things. We've painted him sort of so distant and, and outside and, and, the, and sometimes even we've painted him, and I don't think that, we've painted him like it's, as all love, that he's just so crazy about us, and he is that he just finds us so cute and wonderful and little and adorable that nothing we do could ever annoy him. And I don't know that I could actually trust a relationship if I don't have the power to annoy the other person. You know, that doesn't even sound real to me. That doesn't sound like they know me at all. If if I'm not annoying you a little, you don't know me. Just trust me. And so, of course, this we we've made sin this thing of like you can't you can't do the wrong thing because it makes God mad. And I don't think sin makes God mad because it it breaks His heart. I think sin breaks His heart because it breaks us, and He knows it. God is for our good. He's not just trying to get us to jump through His hoops. He's for our good. These. I don't think these scriptures are a command because they're optional. These scriptures are life to you. They're life to me. Say, I'm going to choose your way. I'm going to choose the way that leads to being firmly planted and loaded with fruit, even when hard times hit. The other way leads to wispy, anemic roots that are unable to bear fruit and are blown away in a stiff, stiff wind. The way of the wicked has no longevity and no life. But what makes it so easy to choose then if it looks so, like the results are so negative? I think it's just so much easier to see. It's, it's just easy, it's easier to spot because so many people are going that way. It just looks more obvious. I think sometimes we move almost like cattle to slaughter because we're not willing to think a different way. The other ways are noisy and obvious and conspicuous, and they almost require no decision-making at all. Fast food is cheap and easy to buy. Rutabagas are hard to cook, I think. <laughs> I don't really know what a rutabaga is. I'm not sure how it ended up in my message so prominently. <laughs> it just sounded kind of like a thing to pick. I don't know. Um, it's harder to be healthy, but it's the right choice. Next scripture This one happens about eight centuries before Jesus. It comes out of Isaiah. It says, do not call to mind the former things. Pay no attention to the things of old. Behold, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do Do you not see it? Okay, so that's important. So behold, I'm about to do something. Do you not see it? So, so God says, I'm about to do something, and the possibility exists that you could miss it. So, again, this idea that I can just float along and I don't have to pay attention and I don't have any skin in the game is not biblical. You could miss it. So, do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. 
So God comes and says, I'm about, forget the former things. What's the, the former thing he's actually talking about here before this verse? He describes in detail the parting of the Red Sea. Now, the parting of the Red Sea to the people of Israel is the biggest thing ever to happen to them. It is the biggest sign that God exists. It's the way God works. It's the way God saves. And now he comes to them and says, remember that miracle? Forget it. I'm doing something else. I'm on to something new. Are you ready to see it? And so why is it possible that we would miss it? Because it doesn't look like what they saw before. And so he says, what I'm doing new is I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. This word way in the Hebrew is really fascinating to me. Because it means a habit. It actually is like the when you go through a forest and you're the one, the first one through it, there's really no trail. But if you go the next day and the next day and the next day and 17 people go after you, pretty soon there becomes this well-worn trail. And soon that's the only trail people know. That's the only way you go through the woods. And so God says, I'm doing a new thing and I'm building for you a new way. And the way leads to life. Water always symbolizes life. So I'm doing this new thing. I'm building a new way, and the way leads to life. Here's the thing about ways and roads, and this is really profound. You'll want to write it down. The way only goes where the way goes. It only goes where it goes. You can't make it go somewhere else. So I live in Bend a lot of the time, and we have, like, Highway uh, 97 runs right through the middle of our town, north to south. And we're very divided by that one main thoroughfare. And so if you come to Bend and you say, Bo, I really want to get to Target, I'm going to tell you, great idea, have fun on your Target run. And also, all you have to do is go north on 97 and you'll run right into it. You don't need to do any, just north on 97. There's no turns, there's no spot, you just, that's how you get to it. So no matter how much you want to go to Target, and no matter how much education you have, and no matter how many good intentions you have, and no matter how much you really want to have the Starbucks there or whatever, if you go south on 97, you will absolutely end up at Walmart. And I don't want that for you. I just don't. North on 97. But the way only goes where the way goes. Or you could go a lot of different ways and you can get to Target, but it's going to take you a very long time. And so we have this idea, I can build a different way or my intentions will get me there. or My good thoughts will get me there or my obedience will get me there. And Jesus comes to us constantly in the New Testament and says, there is a new way. You need to be on it because it only goes where it goes and where it goes is life. Don't you want to go to life? His love is on both ways, but one way leads to life. So I love that Isaiah scripture, and I'm constantly putting it into my life about, do I need a new way? Am I traveling the right way? Is there a place in my life where, yes, I have chosen the right gate. I walked through Jesus, but is there a place where I'm on a way that leads to something that doesn't look like life? Because this thing about walking the right way in our life is clearly an everyday get up and do it again, walk again, go there again, check the word again, check in with your people again. This is an everyday build a habit as establish a way kind of life that God is endorsing. All of these scriptures assure us over and over again that this is the way toward blessing and abundance and joy. 
But this way of walking in love with the core values of Jesus is, is deeply and eternally rewarding. Is it hard? Yeah, I think sometimes it is. I think sometimes walking the way of Jesus is hard, but it's hard because we are, because cheeseburgers are good. <laughs> and because we're surrounded by an easy option, an easy, quick, fast option. Without those options, the way of Jesus is always automatically life. And we could see it. So back to Matthew. Again, this scripture says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And only a few find it. How do we get to the beautiful way? Through a narrow gate. The gate is hard to see. I went to Italy a few years ago and um, I noticed this, this, this phenomenon there. I was there for a month, so I got to see a lot of different things happen. And there's a day of the week where the cruise ships would come in and it would just be loaded with tourists and the tourists would just all go, 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 go to the main attractions. And I found that if I picked a different way, I would find something cool treasure. If I picked the way where everyone was going, I was just annoyed at people, just annoyed at all the lines and the stuff and the stuff. Yeah. Um, but if I went the different way and in Italy, the, there are doors to wonderful, incredible restaurants that you can hardly see. They're just, they're kind of just hidden in an alleyway and they're not ostentatious about, here's the signage, you know, it's not like Denny's, like here's the Grand Slam right here at Denny. It's like this beautiful little restaurant hidden behind a way. It's not harder to get through that gate than it is to get through the door at Denny's. It's just harder to spot it. There's not so many people there. If I trust people's opinion to lead me in the way I want to go, I'm going to end up somewhere I don't want to be. I'm sure of it. I just think following the masses is never going to work. If you get your theology on Facebook, it's time to stop. It's time to go back to the gate. There's a narrow gate. It's Jesus. Um, there, it's just, it's easy to access a broader way. It's easier to find. But if you can see it, if you can find the way of Jesus, it's not hard to enter. And, and in order to choose it, though, you have to unchoose some other things. Yes, this is true. To choose the beautiful way, we have to enter through the beautiful gate. To choose the beautiful way, we have to move our feet off the broken way. The gate is one decision but walking the way of Jesus is a lot of decisions day after day after day after day. A lot of decisions. I'm choosing life today. I'm choosing what leads to life with my conversation, with my money, with my time, with my nutrition. I'm going to choose life over and over and over again. Set before me life and death with regard to the way I eat. Life and death with regard to the way I speak. Life and death with regard to the way I believe. I'm going to choose life. And be on the way. So a few things I think we need to know that we can know for sure about the gate and the way that leads to life. The first one is the way is not obvious. But you're here and you've already spotted it. So you're good. <laughs> the second is it's not crowded. Not a lot of people that choose the way. And then it's possible to miss it. Isaiah 43 said, do you not see it? Matthew 7 said, few find it. 
possible to miss it. I just have to say again today, what is your way today? Uh, another thing is it always, always leads to life and blessing. The way only goes where the way goes. The way of Jesus always, always leads to life. Does it lead to all our desired outcomes? Nope. But it always leads to life. It always leads to blessing that is eternal in scope. And then the way of Jesus is the way of relationship. This is so beautiful because when Jesus invites us to choose a narrow gate and a hard way, he invites us to relationship with him. He says, choose this because I can walk with you here. Choose this because I'm going to lead you here. We're going to have conversation here. I'm going to show you which way you should go. I think it's in Ezekiel where the prophet is trying to figure out what to do. And he hears a voice that says, when you're in the way, you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way. Walk in it. So get your feet on the way of Jesus and then listen for his voice because he will keep telling you, this way. Go this way. It's not so much like getting a pre-drawn map. It's like getting someone in the car with you. To tell you, someone who knows the lay of the land and knows where you want to go, and he's going to say, take a ride at the light. But it's not so much 30 years of advanced planning. It's not a printed itinerary. It's Jesus speaking to you. It's the Holy Spirit telling you which way to go. So is the way of Jesus hard? I kind of think being human is hard. That's what I, my, my suspicion is that this is hard. It's just hard to be human, and that's what makes the way of Jesus seem hard. Like I said, the presence of junk food makes the option of vegetables really hard to choose, even though one leads to life and one leads to death. Um, but without the presence of junk food, the way would be obvious and easy. Oh, I'm going I'm to eat the healthy stuff. Jesus said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So throughout history, religious systems have tried to make the way of Jesus hard by piling on works and requirements. We've invented things like penance and purgatory and countless ways to try to earn more love or more grace. And all of those things fall flat and obscure in the true light, life-giving way that Jesus offers us. The very next line on the Sermon on the Mount is, worship team, you can come back. That's not the very next line. Worship team, you can come back whenever you like. <laughs> the very next line in the Sermon on the Mount is, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So this is a pretty scary warning. In fact, I remember when I was little, my mom had me start reading my Bible by reading the Gospel of Matthew. And I remember getting to this saying, ooh, I just want to check out of this thing. There's wolves in sheep's clothing. There's problems. There's whatever. Oh, But I think that it's pretty clear 
we can see the voices that are dangerous to us. A false prophet is any voice that calls to you to enter any gate other than Jesus and walk any way other than Jesus. Pretty simple. Any voice that calls to you to walk any, through any gate other than Jesus or to walk any way other than Jesus. If Jesus is the way of love, then voices that call you to hate are not going to lead you in the right way. If Jesus is the way of giving, then voices that call you to greed are not going to lead you in the right way. If Jesus is the way of grace, then voices that call you to uh, unqualified judgment are not going to lead you in the way of Jesus. It's pretty simple. When you hear a voice, you say, what is the fruit of that life and is that voice calling me through the beautiful gate onto the beautiful way? It's that simple, I think. And then when you're on the way, you say, do I feel like I am living in the life of Jesus Christ? Do I feel like the life I'm living is good news to me and to the world outside my person? Do I feel that? Can I find it? Because here's the thing. The way only goes where the way goes. And the way of life will always, always lead to life. So Jesus, we are way choosers today. We are humans. We are loved by you. We are spouses and parents and sisters and sons. But first of all, we are way choosers and it is phenomenal that you have given us the, the power of choice. You could have created a people that was required to choose your way, but you gave us the option to choose life. And so today, God, I ask in every mind that is focused on you now that you would show, even right now, any area where death is attractive or there's death in disguise would you show our hearts what we need to see? Wake our spirits up to the way we need to walk. Oh, how we love you. And we thank you for the promise of blessing and happiness and good, good life. In your name we pray. Amen.